morning and welcome to your daily game face. I'm Dr. Kim Lannon and I am here with Lou Blasey who has no superlatives today. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because, well, we won't go into it, but I'm freezing. (laughs) So I have my jacket on. Is the heat on over there? I don't know. I can't see that far. Remember, (laughs) I'm older now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what changed? Nothing changed. A week. Yeah. A week has changed. You're a week older. But it's okay, because I'll warm up here in 20 minutes and I'll take the jacket off. But, oh my God, it's freezing in here today. Must be because I'm getting old. I'm going to use every single time. Be like, I'm, I can't see. I'm old. It's Anyway. So, good morning. And I'm doing so that, excited. I'm a lot older than you. You're not that much older than me. Yeah. Well. I'm a, yeah, I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> well, yeah, you are. <laughs> um, so, good morning. And, and it's it feels like it's been longer, obviously, because it has been. Because it has, yeah. I know, but it's weird because I was here Monday and then. Last Wednesday when I wasn't here, it was like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing my show right now. And I waited for the reminder, and it wasn't there. Because <laughs> it always reminds me as I'm driving here that in my in 20 minutes, I will be going live. And I'm like, well, I'm not there yet. <laughs> you need a reminder while you're driving here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so today, we're going to talk about motivation. Excellent. Yes. So, and I thought, well, I was talking to a client yesterday. We were talking about what keeps them motivated or what doesn't and why they keep falling short of what they want and what they need because of so we were talking heavily about motivational issues but it's kind of like the theme that comes up from the end of january yeah (laughs) the flop of the resolutions and people are like i'm so demotivated now so you get you add in all the pieces that everyone see and now i'm warm see i'm already getting hot i need it too because i'm trying to get back into a gym routine oh good so uh, i lapsed and i have lapsed and i want to get back in and i'll have i'm I don't usually have trouble getting motivated, but I'm having trouble getting motivated. Wow. So, well, okay. So, so there's two types of, there's two main groups of motivation they fall into. Mm-hmm. And then there's lots of little subgroups that we can talk about. And then I'll talk about what gets in the way of them being successful. So you have intrinsic motivation and extrinsic. So those are the fancy schmancy psychology words, which is really <laughs> internal and, and external, external. Yeah. Right. But I have to give you the real terms that we use. Right. So, so when people are intrinsically or internally motivated, it's, it's very simple. Um, it, it, it's simple, but yet it's complicated because when they're internally motivated, it really is a self-motivated type of person, a person who's really driven they have their own um competition with themselves everything's within themselves to really drive them within the context of all the little subsets that i'm going to talk about as well and then there's people that are externally driven the extrinsic so that the things on the outside now many people are driven by externals it's you know it's kind of like how many people in the world are followers and how many are leaders leadership usually comes from a lot of internal motivation versus external and followers tend to be external motivated um because the rewards and fears and attitudes and dependence versus all those little factors come in and that's part of what gets in the way and also helps motivate us Mm -hmm. so um when people lack the internal motivating sense that real drive to just be happier on their own or that you know they're not pushed by those threat generators like you know i need so and so to be in my life in order for me to be happy or when that person gets better when that person does that then i'll be better that that's usually just a setup for the demotivation failure ride down the hill right so and many people do that anyway but you know most people that come into a 
you know, a psychology or life coaching office or athletes are often, you know, sort of in the conflict between those rock and roll. Like they're very internally motivated, right. but then the externals get in the way. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's the big subset, the big um, overlying uh, motivators. But then you have all these little subsets that go into it. And um, fear, we always talk about fear. Fear is probably one of the biggest yep. um, ones that actually motivates and demotivates. So it's how much fear, and it's, and it's similar to all the little subsets. How much fear do you have and what does that do to you? And is it rational, realistic, or reasonable? Um, and is it fear of failure? Is it fear of embarrassment socially? Is it fear of disappointing others? Is you know externals again? Yep. Is it fear of disappointing yourself? And if you, if I anecdotally think about it, most people that are not my athletes in my practice will say it's fear of externals. Yes. And my athletes will say it's fear within themselves of disappointing themselves or really. Yeah, I mean, there's certain little externals, but I think by and yeah. large, because I thought about this a lot, that and that certainly could be different for other clinicians and outside practitioners. But for my current set of athletes over the years, that was what I came to think that well, they're much more internally, you know, driven by the fear in and not necessarily. There's certainly a couple here and there that are you know I don't want to upset my parents or yeah. I don't want to you know disappoint the crowd or my fans. Well, the coach. A coach, mm -hmm. coach. But it's an interesting thing. Okay, so <clears throat> when I was doing my dissertation, I don't think we've ever talked about this. No. So I did my dissertation on shame, mm -hmm. and, the oh, really? and the influence of shame um, from coaches and how it impacts gymnastics performance at an elite level. Mm -hmm. um, it was fascinating because I already knew that I knew what was going to be the answer, but no one had ever done research on it before. Right. And so uh, the stylistic nature of a coach and if they use shame-based techniques versus not which is really instilling a fear humiliation embarrassment those are the factors that ended up be i mean i'm shortening this 150 page dissertation up but um those were the factors that really he weighed heavy on whether or not a person was motivated to keep doing well or not mm -hmm. but not solely because there were some confounding variables in there like you know personality style of the gymnast was a gymnast um, much more self-deprecating there was links to family life that had externals that were putting the same pressure that the coaching style was so yeah, sure. it was very interesting so the that external drive to please a coach was often determined by those two styles of the personalities but also the family life coming in so it wasn't just this cut and dry thing but it by and large the the research that I did was you know, shame is very demotivating um, for most people. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting because I remember that was such a big, and I was, and I never did the research beyond this. I, you know, back when we were younger, when we were coming up through athletics, all the coaches that I had were shame based. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, like there, I can't think of any in my life and that's just my you know my anecdotal stuff that that was you know i was it came from russian background in gymnastics it was yep. russian and romanian it was very much about you know you were nothing without doing and if you didn't do then you were nothing like it was yep. very ingrained and uh you know if you didn't do something then you were nothing in period. team sports there's, a, there's an indirect shame motivation in other words the coach may not be shaming you on a regular basis on the on the practice field or in the right or in the weight room or whatever right. it is right but you know less playing time 
Right. Or don't make the team. Right. Yeah, yeah. because they, well, so, so that's an, so the fear of mm-hmm. the external of the power differential and being punished or rewarded sits there. So that's, that's both motivating and demotivating. Yeah. So, uh, you know, coaches and, and parents do this all the time. Um, and even couples, sometimes you see some of this is that that power differential of, you know, um, I'm not going to give you something. You're not going to get the reward yeah. or you're going to get punished for doing it this way or whatever it is. And it's um, one of the reasons why I got into doing sports psych was to help coaches and families make their athletes a healthier, well-rounded person so they didn't end up at 20 years old right? not feeling so good yeah. or, or at 15 or sometimes even 12, because 12 and 13 year old, for the most part, if we, you look at all the research and youth, and I see this all the time, I practice right around 12, 13 is when kids either go soaring forward in the sport that they're in, or they drop out. And right. one of the number one factors why is that they lose the motivation because they're burned out. They're burned out because of, and burnout is one of the factors that kills motivation. Yep. So they're burned out. They don't feel like they affiliate anymore. They don't feel like they're connected anymore. They, they it's have death of self. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. just a fizzle. So because sports is one of the few things we allow kids to invest in as heavily. Right. So, uh, Often a young athlete who's got, especially one who's got potential, reaches his mid-teens and decides he's done. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, his whole life is, his his self-image is completely gone. He used to be the athlete, and now he's just a kid. Right, and you and so you see this all the time, and that's why it's so fascinating that consistently over the past, like, three or four decades, that you see 12 to 14-year-old is when athletes will just fizzle out because those factors come into play and then their identity is gone and you see kids retreat as teenagers into um you know self-harm behavior uh high-risk behavior isolation uh withdrawal you know all those pieces that come into being depressed anxious and then whatever the pressure is at home that's not being supported by whoever usually there's lots of mitigating factors yeah. that are all accumulated in there that all relate to each other i'll bet that happens because there's a death of self in that age range for athletes because you go to little league or you play you know football or whatever and then you get into high school and you realize you know you're a good athlete on the lower levels you get to the higher levels and it's like you know you all of a sudden you're not the same athlete you thought you were Right. Yeah, yeah. You go from the, the you know, the, that little pond that you were in that you were number one in and now you're in a bigger pond. It happened. You can, I see the transition a lot when kids are going from their junior and senior year of varsity sports yep. and they're getting picked up by a college team. But then they're low man on totem pole or they think they're the division yeah. one and they end up no division one school will pick them up. And we're talking like swimming it would, yep. team, everything across the board. And it's like a shock Yeah. because now, you know, they're not as good as they thought they were, which doesn't mean they're not great in where they are, but, right. you know, and that's, that, oh, there's so many factors in the motivating piece of this is like, it's yeah. so unhealthy. But you get that scholarship and you, you keep telling people and they go, where, what school? Right. Yeah. As right. opposed to a division one school that, you know, right. it's a, a badge of honor. Right. Yeah. So it's, so it's interesting because when we talk about like motivating kids around college and they're having athleticism to it. Like I have a, uh, a client right now that he's getting ready to go off to college. He's picking colleges right now and he wants to wrestle. And, but he doesn't really want to wrestle at a high end and his grades are kind of average, which is fine. So we've looked at, you know, the reach schools, which are D1, but we've kept it really 
healthy for him by staying D2, D3. Yeah. So that he doesn't end up getting disappointed by the rejections if they come. I mean, he could surprise, you know, you never know when you apply. Yeah. But the likelihood is, is that it's going to be more D2, D3 so that it's being realistic. And he's a really great wrestler, but he's like D3. Yeah. And he knows he's D3, but his coaches are pushing him for D1. And I've seen him wrestle, and I think he's D3, given what I do for a living. And he's great. He'll be a champion yep. at D3. And that's – so it's like you can – But that's okay. And, and that's – and it's not average. You're not shooting for average. This right. was the conversation yesterday I was having. It's like you're not shooting for mediocre. D1, D2, D3. It's just – it's all a matter of just, you know, what your grades are and what you've done and what you want to do. By and the way, have, a full boat at D3 is – it's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so people always put it down because it's three, you know, one, two, three. It's like gold, silver, bronze, and it's yeah. not. And it's it's so important for people to understand that you demotivate a kid or you demotivate someone when you look at what they're doing and say, well, yeah. it's not that great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, lay off the wrestlers. I mean, it, it's one thing if you're hockey in, in New England or you're basketball or you're football, you know, a Division One status is... You know, that's right. cool. Right. You're playing for BU, BC. Right. Northeastern playing hockey. But, you know, it, wrestling. Right. Get a full boat scholarship for wrestling. Exactly. I don't care what division it is. Right. And and so and that, and so that's the thing is like... And really, by the I'm, way, a D3 school giving away a full boat, you know, that's a big commitment for them. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that means... And I tell, you know, the kids that I've had over the past couple of decades that I've been doing this, that D3 or D2 or D1, whatever you get, if you're getting a ride from them... Like, they're investing. That means that they think you're really good. And mm -hmm. it's not because they're, you know, a lot of kids will say, well, it's only a D3. Even yep. when they got in and they're excited about going, like, yeah, but it's only a D3. Like, no, you have to embrace that they've invested their time and their money and their effort into knowing that you're going to make them yeah. proud. And they're going to, you're going to do something for them. That's why they're doing for you. People don't look at it like that. Right. So it's very demotivating because you see the difference sort of in the, you know, all the research things that go through my head of like, if I had 10 kids and they had a spattering of all the different motivational levels of where they are at from all their school placements, the way that they talk about it, the way that they even facially affect about it, the yeah. way that it would be slightly different in some cases and very different in others, just because you'd see it and it would be based on, you know, how motivated they are by their their status or yeah. their their label of their school, and I'm given. Uh, I'm guessing that the ratio changes when you go to college. Yes, the importance of the sport. In other words, you're in high school. You're a quote unquote star athlete. Right. There's some status involved in that. On your campus, nobody cares. No. I don't care what division you are. No. I mean, if if you're one of the hottest prospects. Right. On the on the Division One basketball team, that's one thing, I guess. But right. They don't care on campus, and and your studies and your the college experience becomes a much bigger part of your life than the athletic experience. Well, yeah, because, well, talk about going back to groupthink, right? Yeah. It's like the, it's the diffusion of responsibility. And now you're just in this big pool. So I went to UMass Amherst, you know, you got 25,000 people on a campus. Yeah. I was there when um, Calipari was there and, oh. and Marcus came, like they were yep. all, and that was like the big thing. And then the football team was big, but it was a one and done kind of thing. If you remember, you, you know, if, yep. if my listeners from all over the country and the world have no idea what I'm talking about. It was just a time back in the 90s that there were there were some UMass was a college basketball UMass powerhouse. was like a powerhouse yeah. for athleticism, but at the end of the day it fizzled 
because it was just a one-shot kind of deal for a short period of time, and then everyone kind of went back to normal. Um, but you know, it, yep. it, but it was motivating in the fact that everybody wanted to go to UMass, everyone wanted to be with the coach, and every and then he left. Yeah. <laughs> then he left. Yeah. Um, and, and so you know, there went the dynasty, so to speak. So you know, um, going to the point of whether it's external or internal, that was so heavily externalized to motivate people to come obviously great marketing yep. for them right but then you know over time if you didn't have the internal motivation you i saw that basketball team and even the football team struggle like after that like you could just see the downward spiral because yep. people didn't have they didn't have the inspiration of the external they had coming and then they didn't well, have it internally enough to keep it up for themselves and it felt it felt sometimes like it, that people were some of them were in over their heads yeah. Because they got into something that they didn't realize they were into. Well, the group think of the school, UMass, I mean, everyone was excited about the basketball mm -hmm. success and the success with the rest of the athletics, but it was never as big a part of the experience as it might be for Duke or it might be for, right. for you know, University of Florida or something like that. Right. It, you know, it just it's just not that big a deal. People, again, everyone on UMass, you get 2,500 kids. How many kids know who's on a wrestling team? Yeah. No. No. Right. Exactly. Or this, or the wrestling team, the swim team, the gymnastics yeah. team, the soccer team. And then there's all these teams. And well, speaking of that too, is that they don't realize that you can actually. This has been a really great thing in the past couple of years. I've been helping kids with when I help transition them in this time. I'm like, you know, you can go to the college, and if you really want to play, but you don't want to play the sport and get a, a scholarship in it, you can. Nobody ever tells kids that they can do, you know, the outside extracurricular they have all these outside teams that do yeah. all the same sports but you don't have to be affiliated through the school but they carry them on for all people like you that want to not you yep. but that you you want to do soccer but it's an offshoot you know it's outside of the actual mainstream of the school or you want to play basketball or and they have traveling teams like it, they do yep. it all but it's just not affiliated so you don't have to have the pressure which is one of the reasons why kids flail but even that's a, even that's a study in what the your athleticism is to you and your self-image right exactly right? yeah and if and whether or not people want to um utilize that as their integrity their um not integrity their identity um because they you know some some people go just for the the thrill of like i'm still at the top and this is who i am and that's you know you kind of not to stereotype you get all the the guys sitting around going oh, i was a college football player and and then they're you know 40 years old and they're telling yeah. you about that and like well, what are you doing now and they're like i was a college football player you know yep. um and it's like okay but where's you so the identity gets locked into that and it's right. very similar to those the conversation i was having last week about you know when you get to be retirement age what are you looking back on and people are saying i was a college football player yeah, yeah. and and that it's because it's so <laughs> ingrained and that's they're never going to be as good a cpa as they were a football player football in high school, player, right? Yeah. And kind, and so if you look, and there at, certainly wasn't as much status in being a good CPA. Exactly, and yeah. well, and that's kind of like when you have like veterans coming back from like serving over in Iraq or you know Vietnam, yeah. and you know, and I obviously you know I work with them, and it's similar story is like they're never going to get the charge, the thrill, and the the feeling of accomplishment in the right. same way by coming back and even being like a police officer. Yeah. They love it, but, you know, I have many veterans that I see that are police officers. They never get the match, you know, and how do you get that thrill? And it's and it's yep. thrill not as in a bad negative sense. It's like there's a charge that people get by doing something that feels so good, and if you can't replicate it, it becomes 
exhausting for some people. It becomes disappointing. It becomes demotivating because they see, I did this and it was so valuable and this is eh. So here we are. We're eh. back as we usually get to protecting our self-image or uh, either our self-image or the image we project. Yes. Usually we're maintaining one of the two. Right. In fact, almost hopefully it's self-image as opposed to the opposite, you know, extra public image. Right. Well, yeah. Well, so it's interesting because I'm I'm... I'm thinking out in my head of like how many clients in my current caseload do I have that are really motivated by self-consciousness that they worry about, you know, they have the committee, the nameless, faceless yeah. <laughs> committee in their head. And I can't tell you how many times a week I have that conversation. I'm like, who's in your head telling you that? Because, yep. you know, and, and obviously therapeutically we can go through and name them and face them. And, but in the moment you get so automatically uh, used to doing that to yourself um, that it becomes this glom in your head of like oh I can't do that why well it co comes out that well it's because I'm worried about what those people those people are going to think yeah who are the committee are they the committee <laughs> yeah you know who's that committee and when you get down to it people usually can come up with who the committee is you know and it's a spattering of people my boss yeah. my spouse my boyfriend my girlfriend my parents my fans yep. um and it's that's the real sit on that you know and it's not different than what i said at the beginning about like the external versus internal and all that stuff but it's really about so many people get caught up in their committee yeah. uh there was you spend your time you come out with a sometimes you come out many oftentimes you come out with a beat-up self-image yes from your upbringing and so you spend a lot of time building an image that you can live with that you like i, I remember i had a friend um, in high school and he was um, he was not athletic he was you know he was a good kid he was funny and everything but you know people didn't generally think much of him I liked him a lot generally didn't think much of him and I remember when he got older he started he went to work for enterprise car rental uh -huh. and he got good at it yeah. you know and he got to be a manager and you know you know in everything everything became about that for him because that was an arena and an area that he was quote unquote successful in right and he liked that feeling right as opposed to being socially lower in the groups that he was hanging out with at Enterprise. He was, you know, people liked him and he was successful. Right. So he was getting the praise, the acknowledgement. He had the independence, the autonomy. He had all those factors that make you still feel good about yourself that will keep you. So he internally was getting charged. Yep. So he didn't, he had externals charging his internal because he had it in him. Yeah. And by the way, that's good if it starts to extend outside of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's no, there's no problem with taking that motivation and extending it outside of that. No, right, because it's something that's internal to you, and you're fostering it. Yeah. And then it's getting rewarded or reinforced, but you don't necessarily need to have that because he knows how to do that. It's like he didn't wait for it to happen to him. He made it happen for – this is what it sounds like. Yeah. He made it happen for himself. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and those are – and there's so many great examples of that. And, and unfortunately, I see a lot of people that have the other, you know, that – they're they're waiting for it to happen to yeah. them yep. and the the um putting down the small goals to get them to get where he got right for right. instance is so overwhelming because people have that image of well they made it over that person made it overnight i'm like no they didn't no. they they didn't they did the work and you know i hear people other people have it so easy other people yeah right you know, it's like, well, no, it looks easy, right. but everybody, no matter what, even if it's easy and they have nepotism and someone handed it to them, there's work involved somewhere. Someone has, I mean, yeah, some people get free rides, sure, but everyone eventually has to do work. 
yeah. somewhere. Right. And they may not do it great, <laughs> but they have to do work. You get stuff handed to you, you get breaks, but sure. usually breaks are the results of putting yourself in within the opportunity within the opportunity window to take advantage of exactly them. yeah exactly so that you're right place right time yeah. or you've done enough networking i'm a big believer in people across the board no matter even kids yeah network network yeah know people get to know people from everywhere it's funny really quick not really quick probably but you know um you know me um so <laughs> i'm driving along last night coming back from the office right and and I turned down my street and there's a there's a welding company that is at the bottom of my street and this I'm gonna give this guy a plug because he deserves it but he's a couple weeks ago there was a, a show on like quarantining cool quarantining ideas or something like that yeah. and this guy his name's Drew can't remember his last name <laughs> but he has made he's he went out and bought a big box truck he decked it all out and put um, move, of course I can't remember what it's called now, but move something, but it will come to me because I'm in the story. But it's a drop down front and mm -hmm. the whole entire inside is a gym. Oh. And it's so it's everything, and everything's, you know, able, right? And so everything's able to be used, everything's able to come off the walls, it's all secured. So when it's driving around, it's a mobile gym and he, 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 leases he's like the middleman he leases it to personal trainers for them to use at whatever location interesting yeah and then he the personal trainers can charge whatever they want of their clients he doesn't take any of their money he just charges a flat right. fee for the rental of the space and so he's building as a franchise so he was on his way last night down to um key biscayne in in miami and we were so here's so here's the networking thing so yep. i'm driving by and i see the truck it's pitch black out and i'm like <laughs> and i'm like oh this is going to be weird and creepy and i'm pulling into the you know yep. so i pull in and i roll down the window i'm like i know this is going to sound really weird and there's like three guys like staring at me i'm like and this guy that he comes out and i'm like oh my god i saw you on tv and we started talking about yep. it and one thing led to another and we exchanged information and and we were going to talk about how to really maybe incorporate some of the stuff that i do and get other people so who knows right yeah. but it's it's about the fact that you just never know when you're going to have an opportunity it was so super cool it's great and just happened to be because i saw the clip and and he was there getting it all decked out but that so that's a perfect example of the hard work setting him up to, for this opportunity because you need to have the capital and the time to be able to throw the truck together right and grab the opportunity when you get an idea right and not everybody's in that situation right when yeah. he and he called it last night we were talking he's like oh this is he goes this is my quarantining project he goes this has been because i said oh i told him i was like oh this is so cool what a great idea it's so good for this time because so many people yep. are struggling to have open a gym or be there and he's like this came to him and he just was like oh my god i need to do this and he's gonna make i mean he really adjusted for the pandemic yep and what a great idea and super nice and you can just tell that he you know getting ready for today i was like oh he's internally intrinsically motivated he has that drive it didn't you could tell like doesn't matter if someone's a naysayer or someone's like oh this is a stupid idea or you know or has right. something you know devil advocate about it like well you know liability who cares yeah. he was you could just tell he was like i don't care if you don't like it there's 500 other people that will like yeah. it so it's it's super motivating to see people. personal confidence right right so, yeah. th so that's one of the motivating factors in those subgroups of the intrinsic and extrinsic is that confidence level achievement in my friend's situation he yeah. he received he achieved 
legitimate achievement right and got very good at it yes. and but there are people who build enough just enough self-image but it's not it's there but it's not satisfying and they feel locked to it right like for example they're great i'm, I'm not disparaging anybody but they're great but here it comes they're great great as part of the landscaping company mm-hmm. but you know in the, in the end that doesn't satisfy them but they don't want to move out of there because well i'm i'm important in this particular office even right. though it's you know well that gets in Excuse me. That gets into some of the stuff where I see in in clients and, and even in some of my friendships that I have. We talk about this all the time with a couple of friends of like how rationally they know that that everybody's, you know, terminated, can be terminated. No one really matters. No right. one really matters. No. Everyone can be extinguished, you right. know, from a job. But how the mindset gets into they need me. Yeah. They need me. And I often remind my friends and my clients, like, if you died, not to be morbid, but if you died, they would still go on. Yep. So if you took a day off or if you said no, they're not going to fall apart. But then it gets into that fear. Some people have that fear. And there's where the self, self-image self and the self-esteem comes of, you know, the fear of, well, what if they, they fire me if I say no? Yeah. How about no? <laughs> <laughs> and and if, and if you're fireable because you said no, then there's something else going on. Right. You know, and and so, you, but it's that fleshing out of like. But they don't want to let go of that meager, meager status. That right. It's not really satisfying them. So they're kind of trapped because they won't, they won't take the opportunity or they won't take the chance. To improve upon that. Right. Because, you know, what if I, I got to go to another job and I'll, I'm a nobody. Right. You know, exactly. Whereas here, I've been here and, you know, I'm important. Quote, right. unquote, important. Yeah. Right. And and so, I mean, it's kind of like, I, you know, I always think of personal examples is people always say, oh, do you want to go back to school and get another degree? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's similar but different. But still, it's like, why would I want to go and start over? Because people are like, oh, you should go get like, you know, nurse practitioner. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, it's only two years. I'm like, no. Yeah. I don't want to do that because I don't want to start over, but I'm also satisfied. So there's a right. difference. So yeah. so there's the difference in like why I wouldn't want it's to. It's great if you're satisfied. Right. Right. And, and but a lot of people are stuck in situations that don't really fulfill them, but, you know, it's status, quote unquote, status that they've never had. So. Right. And, and, and feeling. And by the way, that gets down to relationships that just, right. just being a wife. Just. No, no, I mean, I know, I know. No, I mean that's enough. Yes. You know, and so that becomes a self identity. Exactly. I, I'm not, I'm not Julie. I'm, I'm, I'm his wife. Right. Exactly. Or their mother. Or their mother. Right. Yeah. And that, and that, and so there's where you see a lot of like transition over like empty nesting. Yep. When you see women, and I have them in my practice here, not as much obviously as it used to be when I first started because trends yeah. have changed, but I definitely see it still with the empty nesting time of, you know, women that I've had in my practice for years that it started, you know, they maybe started where the kids were like seven or eight sure. and they, they stayed at home, stayed at home, stayed at home. And then they were like, I'll go back to work when they're like 12. They didn't go back to work. I'll go back right. to work. And now the kids are leaving and then here's you know, Sally's sitting in front of me going, oh my God, I should have gone back to work. And then it's the panic of, I'm not marketable. I have no skills. I have no experience. What am I going to do? And it's, you know, so I, I try to see ahead of that. If I have someone that I know is doing that, like at seven years old and they have seven year old kids, I'm like, we should start planning now. If you want to be something different when you're done being the mom phase, um, because it's, and I usually give the examples of like, because this is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be sitting there looking at your husband going, 
uh, what do we do now? Yeah, exactly. And your husband's working and he's doing his golf stuff and he, you guys do your vacations, but then you don't have an identity anymore. It's like an athlete. Right. And it's so amazing how people are like, oh, how do you work with athletes and clinical? It's like they're all the same yeah. because people are going through the same stuff, whether you're, you're a high-end athlete or you're a full-time mom and all of a sudden rolls over. No more sport, no more being mom. Everybody's gone. And I used then, to laugh at that all the time. And I still tell people, he goes, if I were the person that I was as an athlete, you know, a lot of these mental health principles, dealing with things, being successful, I had it all as an athlete. Right. I understood the principles and applied them. As a person, it was a lot more difficult. Exactly. But because it's less, a lot less quantifiable usually. Well, and that's so that's one of the failure points is or when people really get stuck is like the lack of clarity. They mm -hmm. don't have, you know, it's it feels jumbled. So you, what you were just saying, like that jumbled feeling in your head of like, it's not it's not as clear. It's well, not you, as you work on something, you run a play, you get better on something, you get your coaches and your teammates telling you, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's right there. You can you see did, it. It's you did tangible. great work, right? And you right. get enough. You don't get that in life. It's it's not. We'll go back to the mom example. Yeah. You don't get how many moms do we know or dads because there's lots of stay home dads. How many people are like, oh, you did a good job today with yeah. the garbage. Yeah. <laughs> you did a good job vacuuming today. You know, because it's so automatic. Yeah. Whereas like an athlete or. Um, athletes are really strong in this is it it's like you can clearly see wow you did an amazing game today or you did an amazing bar routine or you yep. do, that swim was fat like you can just see it whereas and that's something you're going to it's like a different role whereas moms dads just it's kind of like oh that's what you do and by right? the way all the people around you are treading water as well right they've got all the all the influences they're talking about in a team situation it's like you got to run a play you got to be there for another guy the other guy that you have to be there for wow that was great. Right. Yeah. Right. And so if, so given this metaphor, I often use that kind of metaphor around the team and sports in couples work and family work to say, here's what happens here. And this is why people like get kudos and there's appreciation and the team functions well. And you look at a family that's dysfunctional and you go, you need to have your roles. You all need to be having a job. You all need to feel like, wow, good job. Not that you're being commanded, demanded. Unfortunately, I see, you know, a lot of clients that have, you know, fam you know, families that, you know, mother and father by title, but probably aren't the best parents in the world, right? Yep. So it's like building that same team spirit to say, you know, look at teams in your life or look at places where you know that people struggle as a team and then look at your own family and go, it's because we're all separately moving. We're not moving yeah. together and being very careful that um, not to be codependent because then you get completely entangled in a mess and fall apart. Yeah. And then it's demotivating because it doesn't move. It's just like an amoeba stuck, <laughs> like rolling yeah. around in a mess, right? Um, but, but parenting and life in general, parenting especially is more difficult than sports because... Oh, God, yeah. On a number of different levels, but mostly because... You're doing everything for the first time. I mean, in a sport, you do a routine, you run a play, you, right, you, you play a game, you practice, you keep doing it over and over, and the game doesn't change all that much. Right. But with a parent, the first time you have a six-year-old is the first time you have a six-year-old. Right. You're dealing with a whole different set of, you know, every day you're dealing with a whole different set right. of things. Right. But when you're getting, when you have, so yes, when you're having one, but when you have multiples, obviously, <laughs> then, it be, then it becomes, there you, you go. know, then yeah. you've got a, you, you get into a pattern, but there is a, there is a way to, it's kind of like. Well, you do, but by the same token, the second one, 
And the third one, as a six-year-old, is completely different than the first one. Well, yes. Whatever also, worked with the first one usually doesn't work. But it's also based on different parenting, too, yeah. because, yeah. right, like what you were just saying, the first one is different than the third one, because usually by the time the third one, you know, I love that commercial, the first one, like, you, oh, don't touch and everything, and by the third one, you're letting them bounce off their yeah. head, you know, like, oh, well, who cares, yeah. right? So it's, it's, the, it's the parenting changing, and I was going to say, you know, you know, as a motivating factor here, you have like similar to teams and a coach. A coach will have every year new people come in. Yep. Kind of like a family is not new people coming in, but it's new ages, it's yeah. new things, and so you're. Adjusting I can't do it. that with this team. Right. Because I don't have the I don't have the personnel, or this personnel has different skills. I should take advantage of those. Right. It's, yeah. Right. And so being able to adapt along that, so it motivates you instead of getting demotivated. And you know, one of the time, a lot of the times when I see kids and parents struggle, um, is lack is the motivational level goes down in both sides because they've beaten each other down. Yeah. You know the. The, you know, the parents are like, I just don't want to do the fight. So yeah. now they are become permissive parents or indulgent parents just to keep them off their back. But that's actually setting the kid up for right. delinquency in some way. And that doesn't mean they're going to be in jail, but it could. And it, or, you know, high risk behaviors or, you know, sexuality stuff that's, you know, running amok because everyone's out having sex or things because yeah. the parents are like, I don't want to deal with it. But that starts young. And, and the dirty little secret is kids don't want that either. No, gosh, we had that conversation. They, they fight about it. They fight for it. Yeah. But they don't want it. No, no, because it was I was you, you're gonna laugh. I was telling somebody just a couple of days ago is you know having kids like owning a dog, the dog, <laughs> dog doesn't want to be the alpha dog. The, the dog when the dog thinks it's in the lead of the situation, it's nervous, it's unhappy. It's you know the kid doesn't want to be in charge of the situation. Yeah, they right. want to, you know they want to have their say when they want it, and they want and they want the standard. guidance. Yeah, yeah, they want the they want the lead yeah. so they can learn, but then they right. want and then they want the autonomy, and I think it's it's a dance of you know, lead and then let them do, then lead and let them do. Right. Um, but by the time that really ha when you see when you see parents going and throwing their hands up, you know, usually it's, you know, not eight, nine, ten, eleven. And by then I always say, well, right, we better catch this now because from yeah. zero to six is when this was set. Yep. Oh, yeah. And so when parents come in and they're like, you know, they have a 12, 13 year old, be like, they're out of control. And I'm like, so we go back through the history and go, well, what happened? Yep. And they're like, but it doesn't matter. It's like right now. I'm like, no, no, yeah, no, no, no. We're going to go back to find out why this is because we need to figure out what patterns we have to undo. You deal with 12-year-old problems at six. You, right. You deal with nine-year-old problems at four. You right. deal with 15-year-old problems at nine, 10, 11. Right, you know? exactly. And yeah. so and it's so that's the defeated parent or the the parent that started out like, you know, I don't want to do the same thing that my parents did, so I'm really very permissive. Like, I use that yeah. example because it's so, yeah. right? Yep. But then the child, by the time they're 9 or 10, is out of control, and the parent doesn't take the responsibility. They externalize it's the child, it's the child's child. And they're like, yeah, but you haven't, you, there's no structure. There's no, there's no expectation. So the authoritative parenting style, which is so important, not yep. authoritarian, which is you expect and ask and for a lot in task and you your expectations are reasonable and then you reward you praise yeah. you give warmth and love and that's the best most secure type of parenting to make people motivated and that's yeah. so, and you know there's one type of parenting that does that the re, the remainder the other three types are very demotivating they're authoritarian which is you know the militant style like yep. do as i say not as i do and makes people really oh, yeah. you know dependent on the parent and life and then you've got the insecure, I mean, then you've got the insecure um, 
permissive and indulgent types, the two types. And so when you have, you know, very little warmth, very little task, <laughs> or you have really high warmth, like, oh, I want to be my child's best friend. That's not motivating. Yep. People are like, oh, I'm going to be their best. You can be a friend to your kid, but you, but you also... Well, we got into this conversation. I got into that conversation because I made the mistake of commenting because it's like, I'm not going to tell her because I said so. And I guess sometimes that's exactly what you tell her. Right. And, and it's not like you do it all the time. You do it first out of hand. But at a certain point, when the discussion has been worked out, it's like, you know, because I said so. Because right. you're the nine-year-old and I'm right. the adult. Right. And so to that point, you know, I always... You do it lovingly. You don't do it as a standard procedure. Right. But, well, yeah. so that's, I mean, a good point because it's actually teaching how... You want to motivate your kids to be able to question with politeness and yes. respect and advocate for themselves. So you always want to be able to have a kid say, but why? Yeah. But after the 70th why, and you've explained, well, it's because it's dangerous and I don't want you to do that right now because we're going somewhere or whatever it is. And the child's still going, but why? You go, because I said so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, well, for me, it's the point where it comes from a discussion to a negotiation. Right. You don't, you, I don't believe you ever negotiate with kids. Right. Well, so, so there's certain circumstances where... I'm always. I mean, in a, in a real, I, that right, was a broad well, statement. Right. Because there are negotiations because one of yeah. the things to teach kids autonomy, which is one of right. the hallmarks of internal um, yeah. motivation, is you want to give them choices. And when they're young, especially those zero, not that they're making choices at zero, but yeah. from basically one until six, seven years old, you want to always give kids two choices. Yes. That end in your favor. Yep. So they are getting used to being able to have choices, so they feel like they aren't just under command. Right. Because one of the most important things to get a child to have good self-esteem and motivation to become that way in adulthood intrinsically is to build yeah. the sense of, I have choice. But you, you, you'll take the negotiation, especially with an older kid, it's like, no, you can't go to her house tonight. Right. And go, well, what if I do my homework beforehand and get it all done? And then you say, well, okay. You might say, well, we can talk about that. Right. But you don't you don't negotiate in terms of if I don't get what I want, I'm going to make your life miserable for right. the rest of the night. That's not the negotiation and, you enter into. And that right, and a lot of and so that goes back to the permissive and yeah. you know, and even with coaching, you can see that in coaching sometimes athletes will negotiate with their coaches. If I do one more, can I be done? You know, yeah. I saw this in gymnastics, and I see this in skating and swimming all the time. Like, I'm, if I only swim one more lap, do I have to do blah blah blah? Like, it's it's it you know, it's yeah. so similar across the. The different venues of, of 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 you know family sports work people negotiate at work too sure. it's the same thing yeah um because they're looking for ways of motivating they're looking for ways to stay uplifted because they're exhausted or they're burned out or they're just tired or sometimes they're lazy <laughs> well listen looking at that pile of homework and yep. having you know a movie or a treat at the end as opposed to oh, being being able to go somewhere or do something right that can be motivation. There's nothing wrong with that. I right. Mean. Well, and, but the thing is, is you run into, and here's the thing with um, athletes too, and, and just general everyday, like my sure. clients, is that not to over-reward because what happens when you over, like if everything ends with a reward, like am I going to get an ice cream every yeah. time? Or is that, you know, it's kind of like a um, better example is child cleans their room. You give them a dollar. Yeah. Eventually in a couple weeks, literally, that that motivation burns out because an external motivator of a dollar is not enough anymore. Right. It's still a dollar, but now they want two. Right. And then they want three. So it's I'm always mindful to tell parents that, hey, 
intermittent rewards. There's a reason why, so awful, there's a reason why casinos work. Yes. It's because you never know when you're going to get paid, but you know it could happen. So you keep returning in hopes it will happen. A child and a per and people, adults, yeah. we will continue to motivate if we think that there's something coming. We, it may not come yet, but we'll keep returning and doing well, something good as a behavior because it's reinforcing it. And as soon as we get the payout, like the kudo or dad or mom giving you the approval you've been looking for, or the million dollar ding, 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 or the coach saying, oh, attaboy. Well, delayed gratification. Right. And you were just talking to the coach saying the attaboy. Everybody has a story about the coach they hated. Yep. When they were playing for him, but they love him now. Right. And the reason they love him now or her now right. is because somewhere in that hell of the experience they went through them, that coach said, good job. Right. And that right. meant everything to them because they knew they earned it. Right. It wasn't a platitude. Right. Exactly. Like, well, he never tells me I did a good job. Right. I must have done a good job. Right. Yeah. Right. And so when you have, and so you have some scenarios, and this is like to the, you know, the external motivated people, you have some families and some athletes um, who have coaches or parents that don't give that approval ever. Right. And then I often see them in my office because yep. they're looking for the approval over and over again. And, you know, I can think of a couple examples where I've had people for better part of a decade doing lots of life coaching and they've finally come to, there's a lot that goes into this statement, but it's simple is that you have to sometimes let go of the hope that other people are going to change yeah. to give you the approval that you look for because they're never going to do that. And I don't typically use never always or anything like that, but there are people that you just have to let go of the hope that they're going to be different because they're not going to give you what you want or right. what you need. Right. So you have to do it from within. It doesn't matter that you get it. You always look for it, but you have to really separate it out or else it, it debilitates it paralyzes people yeah. because all well, that's want... working on yourself right that, that's feeling good enough about yourself and what you've done right. to not need not right. depend on the external Extra, validation right yeah. that i that you know talking to a couple yesterday you know talking and, and one one person in the partnership was talking about how if the the other person could only get sober then their life would be okay and i said to that person like no actually your life will be okay today if you do for you, yeah. doesn't matter. I know that that person's impacting you for sure, yep. but you, you can't wait for them to get sober for you to do your life right? because this has been going on for 20 years and you're, you're getting your life taken from you from this because you're waiting yep. for that person to get something. And you know, it's kind of like when people say, if I win the million dollars, my life will be okay. So they're waiting for the lottery to pay out. It's like, yeah. okay, but you're waiting. Well, you know, there's nothing motivating you to do anything else, but you're going and spending money on your scratch tickets or your whatever else. Stop giving up control. Right. You're giving control to things you have no control over. Right. And and that's and so that's one of the reasons, you know, there's like 10 reasons that I always have in mind of why people get demotivated and stay demotivated. And that's because they've given up control. They've given up control. And don't, they're dependent on factors that they have no they have little to no influence over. Right. And and. And when you point out, because you can say some people are so entrenched in that, right? Because they are just so like beaten down that yep. when you give the examples of how that could generate an alternative to get motivated, they literally, I have people say to me, I just can't even imagine that. I can't see what that looks like. Yeah. And, you know, I stick with them and whatever, but it, over time it does become better. And I've seen it many times happen, but it's that 
such a deep-rooted place to be like, I have no yeah. control well, over this. Well, sometimes in that situation, it becomes... Um, that becomes a matter of death of self too because yes. the some people cling to the problem as much as they complain about it, they cling to the problem because that's what makes them who they are right fighting right. that problem right well and that's so if the problem went away they'd be like all right you know what what can i be a victim about at that point so what i was going to say is nice little segue there is about when we were talking about codependency a couple of weeks ago and i was talking about how people get in the pattern of addiction mm -hmm. relationally the demotivated part of relationship struggles mm -hmm. is a lot around the codependency, like the victim perpetrator role of you feel victimized, like it, you know, like oh, I'm not going to get, it's not for me, it's never going to happen. And, and then you look at the person and say, but what are you doing to make it better? What are you doing to yep. get away from that? You know, you hear, well, you know, I can't do that unless she does this. I can't do that unless he does that. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're separate. Yeah. You're well. That gives you the day off. Right. Yeah. Well, right. right. No responsibility. Right. No accountability. Right. Whatever. Right. I can't. I can't be better because um, he, he's not better. Because he's not better. Right. right. Exactly. Right. So it's the externalizing blame. Mm -hmm. There's a reason, justification, minimizing your own responsibility of taking whatever it is. Like going to that example yesterday, I was like to this person, I was saying, you're by not doing for you, you're enabling them right. to continue because there's no consequence that they see you moving forward. And yeah. it was like a, a little light went off and I don't think there was much movement because this person's really entrenched in being codependent and, and, and invested in the person being like, yeah, you, but you plant seeds. Right. Yeah. And well, that's the thing. And I've yeah. planted the seeds for this person a whole bunch in the past year. And so there's been some movement, but it's, you know, you can see, you know, the person's 40 something yeah. and you can see how long they've been married, 20 something years. You could it's like, Oh, it's so entrenched in this person's mind that they have no control unless the other person gets their own right. control. And but again, that's a vacation sometimes right, because, uh, especially when you get to your forties and you you don't have the life that you want. Mm -hmm. And there's two ways you can go: you can take responsibility for that, which right. people are often reluctant to do. No, right. it's because my parents did this. It's because my partner's doing this. It's because of this situation. Right. And it's like then there, there's no need to keep working so hard right because it's not me i can't control it right i'm just surviving it i'm the victim <laughs> well, right and yeah. and that is such a common role yeah. for people and you hear that because it's and, easy well yeah it's yeah. it's the you know the road most traveled and i don't mean easy emotionally no. it's hard no but, but it's, I mean, it's easier yeah. to it's easier to dance with the devil you know than the devil you don't even if the devil's really painful yeah kind of like when people say you know like god they're a heroin addict why would they want to do that i'm like they don't want to do that yeah it's what they know yeah they don't know what it's like to be the other because it's scary and you know people that don't understand addiction for instance like yeah but how can someone not be motivated to be clean and sober and, and know that because they don't have that peace they don't have that sense of control they don't have all the things we just talked about to feel like they can do it until they get shown a little piece of that over time that's why you have to have like all you know and it's funny, they go from, um, I'll get in trouble for this, uh, they go from passing the responsibility onto the addiction yes, to seeking a route out through a higher power. And I, Oh, you're going to get people going. No, no, I always, I, because no, I, I, I do a lot of addiction shows. Yes, I know. And I always want to tell them, but whatever works for them is fine. Go with what you want. But I always want to tell them the higher power is you. Well, yes. Yeah, so what you tapped into was yeah. you. It so that's yeah. how I frame it. Yeah. Perfectly said, actually. So no trouble. So no one give Lou a hard time today because yeah. that's actually 
therapeutically so sound because um but, but some people work in the higher power thing and that's fine if it's working for you go ahead well so here's the way yeah. so that just so that the way I, people understand from a clinical side what i think of what you just said in mm -hmm. terms of that higher power has a very different meaning for lots of people right. and i'm all for it. you want to you want to believe in god you want to believe in the plant you want to believe in the floor you want to believe in your tip of your finger i don't care yeah. but at the end of the day calling on yourself is is really the power because it's charging you up like a battery because the more you believe that you have camaraderie people are there they understand there's like shared experience all the pieces that come with the a groups right yep. that's great but at the end of the day i always kudo the person saying but it's you you found the strength yeah. to do it and it wasn't because you were weak well it's the higher because, power right? loves me the higher power believes in me the right. higher power wants what's best for me when you get to that point where you love you you believe in you and you want what's best for you Right. That's that's when things happen. Right? right. And so it's an interesting psychological phenomenon around that is that, you know, we both are talking about how the motivation is actually coming from within. Yeah. But people who are low in self-esteem, so, or people who are struggling with autonomy, independence, all those pieces that you find often in codependent people, it's easier to stay external and say, oh, yeah. the higher power is doing it for me because then it is tangible when one has to look into the self-esteem that's low and said oh i did it they're immediately been trained and socialized to no you didn't yeah because the narrative of the old tapes of mom and dad saying you're never gonna be anything you're terrible you're a terrible kid god i wish i never had you yep. all these things or you know your brother's better than you are and that plays in so the the outward external motivator of i'm doing this for a higher power is really super important in those cases yeah. to have that feeder to eventually have because i you know people i have in my practice now that have exceptional recovery for you know three five ten twenty years they all i think would concur with at the beginning they were like that was so important yeah. for how they deemed it and whether it was god or whatever but now it's like it's them they well, know it's them however you get there it, right and and all the modalities of of quote-unquote self-health and mental health right. and, and mindfulness and things like that, you can read 20 different books or right. see 20 different videos, and they all have different terminology, right. and they all have different um, ways of doing it. Ways of doing it, but it's the same thing. Right. It's, it's all the same thing. I'm doing a podcast now for a guy talking about the Gita, yep. which goes back thousands, thousands of, years of years before yeah. Christ. It's all the same principles, mm -hmm. right? It's, mm -hmm. it, 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 which is fine. Whatever, Whichever way allows you to tap into it, that's great. Yeah, exactly. doesn't matter. Well, so speaking of books, because mm -hmm. I know we're, I'm watching time, yeah. we're coming down to the last few minutes here, but so people often will say after sessions, like they, they're like, okay, what do I do in between? I need to read something to keep this in my head. So because this is such a big part of my practice and I do motivational stuff daily, mm -hmm. I have some go-to books. Oh, excellent. So, yeah. um, so David Goggins is one of my favorite motivators. He's a retired Navy SEAL. His his um, podcast, his YouTube channel, his and his books are across the board really good. You do have to get past the fact that he's an f bomb dropper. Pretty much every other word, <laughs> because that's, that's a how plus he talks. for me. But what? That's a plus for me. But that's so, okay. well, for, for yeah. I mean, I it for yeah. me, I block it out because I'm used to hearing yeah. it because this is how people talk in my office. So yeah. it's like whatever. Um, people often say, "Well, my kid, there is a clean version of it that is out there for kids." that he's done he did a clean version. well it's been cleaned up I, oh, it's, cleaned up. Okay. So it's a clean version of the book so yeah. but i think that he's super motivating for people that are more 
um, athletic, intrinsically driven, or who need that supercharge. Now, you know, like you and me. So if you can relate to me when you're listening to me or to Lou when you're mm -hmm. listening to Lou, you're more likely going to have a pull towards David Goggins, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Yep. Now, if you want to kind of like just run-of-the-mill but exceptional good chapter-by-chapter chapter kind of this fits me, this fits me, right, book is um, is uh, da uh, Daniel Pink. He wrote Driven. Mm -hmm. um, and he has, and it's, I think, 10 years old now, maybe. But it's, it's a really good... Um, kind of broad stroke motivational book yeah and if you you know like you just want a like little kick in the butt or um there's also another one on the side and it was written by an md and it's called spark um or sparks and it, it, that's a good one just for like if you want to know like if you're uh if you have add you can read the chapter on add and how to get motivated if you want to read on neurological stuff you want to read on like addiction you want yeah. it has a little bit of that and explains the brain a little bit more heady a little bit more um, academic, but I think David Goggins and Daniel Pink's right. books are really good for people that want to go to a go-to and don't want to go therapy mm -hmm. and just want to feel how to be motivated and stay within the context of the day. But certainly look up David Goggins on YouTube because he'll, if nothing else, he'll light up your morning because he's super enthusiastic <laughs> and you will never hear as many F-bombs as you would when you listen to him and it's fantastic because it fits. It's like, it's like it becomes... Yeah. <laughs> background noise because it's like it's shocking at first and you're like oh yeah that's kind of cool because it's so exciting to listen to him and he you know he's he's you can relate because he came from a hard place and built himself and such a great story and so inspiring because he doesn't hold anything back he's so open to you know here he is this navy seal and you, you know everyone has this image like ah oh, well yeah. From where he came to where he is and how he keeps himself there is such a great story. For me, the first step for motivation was always understanding how much control I had. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it came down to, you're going to laugh, but it came down to The Secret. And it came I mean, down, you told me that, yeah. And it came down to Michael Springer, and he, yep. he had a book. And I didn't like the book, The Untethered Soul, which, yep. which was an Oprah book, and I didn't enjoy him <clears throat> until I saw some videos of him speaking. Right. And it, it hit me a little. But that's what it's all about. It's about finding the way it reaches you. Right. And I don't believe in the, you know, leveraging the universe part of, or the uh, metaphysical part of the secret. Right. But the fact that your actions and thoughts lead you down a path a right. linear path to what your outcomes are going to be exactly that's an important thing because then you start to realize <laughs> how much control you have right. and when you start to realize it and you start practicing and getting a little success you start to get better at it you, right. you want to get better at it because you're exerting more control over right. your outcomes and that's so interesting that you said that because you know we've done you know in the past month or so I've, i did a whole bunch of things on like weight loss and food you know that is the whole secret really behind lifestyle motivation lifestyle change to have a good healthy weight have a good healthy eating relationship have all those yep. is really understanding that you have more control and it's not dieting it's act it goes back to that yeah. concept of my if i understand my environment and i understand the way i think and i understand how that leads me down the path to make the choices that i make I just have, I have all the power in the world and the control to make the choices. Now that could be about what I just said. It could be about relationships. It can be about my job. It can right. be about friendships. Yeah. It translates to everything because it's super motivating. 
if you really allow yourself to go, oh my God, I actually have control over this. It's And the control is not necessarily doing things. It's not accomplishing huge things. It's no. about thought process. It's about mm -hmm. approach. It's about aiming in that direction. Right. And you the direct you know, thoughts become things. That's right. a big thing with the secret. And that's the truth. Right. And people understand the negative side of it. They understand I'm going to blow this job interview, and then they go in and blow the job interview. Right. It's, well, it's, if I say I can't, I can't. Yeah, but right. they don't understand the positive side of it. Right. And once you understand the positive side of it, you can you understand how much you control your outcomes. Right. Yeah. Well, it's and that's and that's what I. And say. it's not positive thinking. I don't want people well, to think well, that. It's, well, it's a little it's different. About, it's I I don't use the word positive thinking because yeah. it's like just do it. I always say productive. What are you doing with your thoughts? What are you doing with your thinking? It's not about just using slogans and affirmations. It's they have to be believable that they have action to them. So if you wake up and you're living with intent this morning to um, make today a really good day, okay, what does that mean? It means I'm going to be making sure that I respond kindly to people. You know, it's it's yeah. about really living the action of something good, healthy, and productive. Not about just being positive. Like, but and it's Hi. it's passive to a large extent because uh, passive may not be the right word. If you ever had the uh, experience where you see a car for the first time. And goes, I didn't know that car existed. Yes. And then for the next month, that's all you, you see. see. Right, it's because it's in your awareness bank. That's right. That's right. the way your mind is going at that point. Right. That's the way. It, that's the way it works with the secret. So you talk about your, uh, you talk about your mother a couple of years before she becomes an empty nester and trying to find the next life. Right. Put that thought in her head, and have her you know deal with that thought and then right. a magazine article come up and say oh i like that i want to pursue that right where it wouldn't hit her the same way exactly. if the thought wasn't in her wasn't head wasn't in her head in the first right. place right and well it's interesting because i do hear that you know i'll say something to someone and then they'll come back like a month later and be like oh blah 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 you know I'm like yeah. oh yeah you know yeah. or i do get the people that you know i've said something and then two years later they're like oh blah 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 i'm like i told you that two yeah. years ago. Oh, yeah. but they but they'll relate it they'll say I remember when you told me, blah, 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 and now I've gotten it for myself. It's one thing to sit there and say, I need a new job. Right. And that's massive and overwhelming. And people have to quit jobs and find new jobs. Right. And no one wants to go through that. It's another thing to say, you know, I'd be open to something else. And then what happens is you... You then are open to something else. Yeah, and maybe right. you take a couple minutes on a job site or you even open the classifieds well, in your it, paper. And that's the difference. Let's talk yeah. about mindset and motivation, right? It's the difference between saying, okay, I'm open to blah, 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 versus someone saying, well... Uh, this is that job is beneath me. I have, I have people that I'm. I can't do that because that's. I, I have a degree that's better than that. Like, yeah. And that's the mindset, and that's like the the sticking trap point. And I'm like, you're gonna need to broaden that because you're never gonna get a job if you think that you are not gonna be able to move outside that box because people aren't looking for that. People are looking for the productive thought right. process. And chances are. I mean, we don't do it anymore, but we'll do it again at some point. Chances right. are at every Chamber of Commerce meeting or every uh, little get-together you get, there's a job floating around for you yep. somewhere, and it's Absolutely. just a matter of whether you're open to it. Well, and, and there's part of the whole networking thing, yeah. not, waiting it for, not waiting for it to come to you, having to go generate it for yourself. Yeah. But, so. so on that note, yes. everybody needs to go out and generate something good for themselves today. And it starts with thinking about it. Right. Exactly. Yep. Everyone have a great week, and I will see you here next week.